Hi, I'm Ant, and this is On The Left Side. Well, kind of. It usually sounds a little bit different, a bit like my voice, which sounds a little deeper than normal, because last night, me and Jim and the team went to Leeds for the UK Arias. These are the UK Audio and Radio Industry Awards. And for the second year in a row, On The Left Side was nominated for Best Sports Show, alongside some big names that you might have heard of. Flintoff, Savage and the Ping Pong Guys, Fight Disciples, and the whole output of BBC Radio 5 Live. And the bronze award goes to On The Left Side. Yeah, as you can probably tell from that audio, we were absolutely blown away to have picked up the bronze award. And because the whole thing is organised by the Radio Academy, we can now legitimately refer to ourselves as Academy Award winners. So, just like they do at the Oscars... Here's my acceptance speech. Myself and Jim would like to thank the Academy. Sean Alsop and Luke Berry who've helped with the production. And Tony Lamming, Ben Nicholas and Damien St. John who've given extra voices when we've needed them. But most of all, we'd really like to thank you for listening, for sharing the show with your friends and for saying nice things about us on social media. And because you like listening, we thought we'd give you a bonus episode. And so what you're going to hear now is our Academy Award winning entry So if you're into radio stuff and awards, you can have a listen and see if you can figure out what won it for us. Do let us know. And if you're just a football fan, well, it's our favourite bits of 2017 in football. Thanks again. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Well, it's quite good at correctly ruling out goals and decisions that shouldn't have stood, but at the same time is kind of having a detrimental effect on the game as a whole. As was proved in the FA Cup replay this week between Spurs and Rochdale, when a first-half scoreline that read more like the shipping forecast than a game of football forced pretty much everyone to use the same VAR slash farce pun on Twitter. Lamella, 1-0. Turney, no. Var, 0-0. Sankerla, 1-0. No change. Far penalty, 2-0. Sun, complete stop, 1-0. Humphreys equaliser, 1-1. All level at half-time. What a vast... The whole of the first half was utterly confusing, with no one seemingly knowing what was going on, including Paul Tierney, who was refereeing with the confidence of your mate who's come out for a rare night out, but has to check back with his missus every five minutes. I really, I really want you to call me back. Spurs eventually came out victorious in the end, but that wasn't enough to cheer up boss Mauricio Pochettino, who wasn't impressed with the use of video referees at all. The first half was a little bit embarrassing for everyone. I think football is about, uh, we are talking about emotion, it's a context of, of emotion. If we are going to kill the emotion in football, I think our fans is not so happy. It is a great point. What's more important, getting a few more decisions right here and there or keeping the emotion, the passion and the excitement of the game intact? Something that apparently VAR seems to be taking away all too often. I can only imagine how it would kill the atmosphere in a stadium. It was confusing for us watching at home. What must have it been like for those who don't get the benefits of commentary and instant replays? At least all this ridiculousness might actually kill off the idea of VAR for good. 
By the way, football's authorities, IFAB, have just paved the way for VAR to be used at the World Cup. Ah, oh, bollocks. What's the point in going to a football match if you have zero idea what's going on on the pitch? You might as well go and watch ice hockey. That's about as confusing. Not all Stoke City players were trying to shift the blame elsewhere, however. City favourite Ryan Shawcross was already looking for ways to get the team back to the top, even straight after the final whistle, and came up with a clear five-point plan. You've got to keep all your best players. It's point of all your better players. You need to get, keep our best players and get better players in. Uh, the Championship's a difficult place. So we've got to keep our best players and hopefully add to that. Hang on, Ryan. You're going too quick. Let me just write that down. One, keep hold of players. Two, not sell better players. Three, keep your best players. Four, get better players. Five, keep best players and add to it. Got it. Give him the manager's job. To be fair, having sold Marco Anatovic and bought in Jesse, maybe someone actually did need to point that out to the club. Last week, you may remember, Gary Neville had a pop at Pep when he said it was a joke that the manager had only named six subs from a possible seven on the bench for their match against Burnley. Well, now it was Pep's turn to throw some shade back in the opposite direction. He has to know, this guy, the pundit, he has to know my job is serious. It's not a joke. Never is a joke. My job is so serious. He should know that, because he was a manager for a short time. Savage. I just hope that this is the start of an ongoing back and forth slagging match between the two, which culminates in a Genev versus Pep G rap battle in the middle of the Etihad Stadium for the final game of the season. Frankly, I can't see it ending any other way. Yeah, 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 I'm G to the Nev, my brother is called Phil. I didn't really do a very good job when I went to Seville. My views on Sky are valid and they cannot be ignored. But I did once have an orgasm when Fernando Torres scored. Mike drop, G Nev out. But Pep's appearance in front of the press wasn't the most entertaining managerial press conference of the last few days. That honour goes to Swansea boss Carlos Cavalla, who celebrated his side's win over Burnley with a superb analogy. Uh, we put uh, all the meat on the fire, on the barbecue. Uh, so it's what, exactly what we did today. We put all the meat on the fire to try to win. What is it with this guy and food? In January... He said he wanted to buy lobsters, but only had money for sardines in the transfer window. He handed out Portuguese custard tarts at a press conference the other week, and now he's banging on about barbecues. Fish? Pastries? Meat? Are Swansea planning on a massive sponsorship deal with a supermarket next season? If so, could create some really interesting advertising options next year. Substitutions for Swansea City today, sponsored by Tesco. Andy King Prawns, Lamb Shank on the Wilfred Boney, and number 35% off, Renato Sausage. So, have you calmed down from all the excitement of England qualifying for the 2018 World Cup finals yet? Man, that was a crazy few days, wasn't it? So, sorry, I don't mean days, I mean seconds. After England's qualification for the World Cup finals in Russia was met with the same enthusiasm usually reserved for the England band as they strike up another rendition of The Great Escape, it can be hard to remember that in some places around the world, football 
is still quite important. Compare, if you will, Glenn Hoddle's ramblings as Harry Kane poked home last week, securing the Three Lions World Cup place to the commentator on Egyptian TV of Mo Salah's penalty against the Congo. It's hard not to get goosebumps listening to that, isn't it? He either genuinely cares about his team and his country, or maybe he's just trying to get someone's attention in the crowd. That emotion was mirrored by the fans back home, where celebrations sounded a bit like this. This is downtown Cairo, where everything ground to a shuddering halt as Egyptian fans took to the streets in celebration, celebrating qualification to the World Cup finals. This will be, sorry, this will be the first World Cup they've got to since 1990. Is it any wonder they're excited? Now they too can look forward to the hopeless optimism and inevitable disappointment that comes hand in hand with any World Cup campaign. First blood of the January transfer window has gone to Jurgen Klopp, who spent a wallet groaning £75 million on Virgil van Dijk, who completes the most protracted transfer of all time by finally signing on the dotted line for the Scousers and sealing his escape from Southampton, all whilst becoming the world's most expensive defender. It's really interesting that Jurgen Klopp should choose to spend £75 million on a player. Sure, given the current state of Liverpool's defence, they probably need to spend the GDP of Switzerland to actually fix the problem. But this is coming from a man who, not two years ago, suggested that he would happily walk away from football if spending £100 million on a player became the norm. Obviously, now that Klopp is happy to throw money around like Cristiano Ronaldo in a tanning salon, his stance on spending big bucks has softened slightly. I can imagine the people think, wow, what a, what a number. But of course, for me, it's not really interesting. We don't make the prices. He also said he doesn't like to throw money around, which is a statement I'm not entirely sure he can back up. I mean, those new teeth look pretty pricey to me. But it does go to show that if you behave like a four-year-old for long enough, then everyone around you will eventually just give in and sell you to Liverpool. I'm glad it's over. This transfer saga has dragged on and on and on. It's been going on long enough to be a J.R. Tolkien book. Ah, yes. Master Bilbo Van Dyke. You must go on a quest to the dangerous land of Liverpool, where Lord Klopp has built his empire. There you must seek out your precious pay packet and try and stop the Red Horde from conceding any goals. It's an impossible mission. I, I wish you luck. You shan't succeed. Clearly, the turmoil at Old Trafford is having a knock-on effect with the players as well. Paul Pogba has joined up with Le Blues ahead of their friendly with Colombia. And boss Didier Deschamps is concerned about the midfielder's well-being. 
He says that Paul will be offered professional counselling to help the £89 million player deal with the chaos surrounding his club life. Which leads me to wonder what exactly a therapy session with Paul Pogba would be like. And Jose Mourinho sometimes starts you on the bench. Oui. And that makes you feel like you need to express yourself with haircuts? Oui. Hmm. I can see how that might make you feel stressed. Oui. And do you think that's why you're such a bellend? The two teams played out a typical relegation six-pointer, and by that I mean it made most fans outside the ground hope for some administrative mix-up that would see both teams relegated from the league for the sake of football. But, eventually, Southampton picked up the points, the motivation for which appeared to be a last-minute cancelled stay for the team at the Swansea Marriott Hotel, forcing them to find new digs down the road in Cardiff. Here's boss Mark Hughes. How much did Hotel Gate play its part in your pre-match chat today? Well, we we suspected that maybe the uh, some of the dark arts at work, but uh, we didn't let it affect us. In fact, we used it as a motivating factor, and we won't be staying in the Marriott Hotel in Swansea. I don't think anytime soon. Dark arts. I'm not sure you can class cancelling a hotel room as dark arts, can you? Harry Potter would have been a very different film if that were the case. <laughs> <laughs> For 13 years I've awaited this moment. At last, Harry Potter, you are mine. There will be no escaping this time. Do your worst, Lord Voldemort. You will not win. Oh, this time, Harry. I think I will. You've not got Ron, have you? Oh, it's much worse. It's not Hermione, is it? What have you done with her, you monster? No, Harry. She is perfectly well. Oh, then, uh, what? I've cancelled your room. The one in a moderately priced local hotel. (laughs) Normally, football and politics don't really mix, but this season we seem to have made an exception because it was also Sam Allardyce who stepped up in the worthy stakes and decided to use his Everton press conference to turn attention to those less fortunate than himself. It was extremely depressing that a country of this magnitude could allow so many food banks to be operating in this country. I think he's, uh, he's going back to the dark ages to allow that to continue. It's not only allowing it to continue, it's growing at a rapid pace. I think it's a disgrace. I mean, if there's one topic that's going to get Big Sam going, it was always going to be food. But in all seriousness, I love Sam for doing this. It's a massive shameful issue and it would have been much easier for Sam, a man who clearly enjoys the finer things in life, like a Chinese buffet and a pint of Pinot Grigio, to avoid any comparisons between the excess of money and riches in the game and the plight of others at the other end of the scale in this country. He could have just avoided the topic altogether and that might have been easier for him. But there he is, having witnessed firsthand the issue and doing his best to bring it into the public consciousness. Well played, Sam. Well played. It's the kind of connection with the general public that will one day, I'm sure, make him a great choice for England Matt. Oh, hang on. Ah, oh, fuck. OK, so he's not going to be the England boss anytime soon. Again, anyway. So maybe we need to find Sam another figurehead-type role. 
For me, what he said connected far more to my sensibilities than those provided by our monarch as we digested Christmas dinner. Next year, how about we just give Sam the gig? Stick him in front of the TV cameras, gravy down his shirt, swig him from a bucket of post-dinner sherry, ruddy-cheeked and swearing, but telling us exactly what's what, where we're going wrong in this bloody country, and how it can all be fixed with a solid defensive base and hoofing it up to the big man. 